It's the next level. Warning. The following podcast may contain spoilers. Listener discretion is advised. Don't you know you shouldn't interrupt others while they're brooding? Trying to get my Oliver Queen on here. Welcome, Primers, into this issue 137 of the DC Primetime Podcast from the Spotlight here on the Next Level Podcast Network. I am Ben Beck. And from the Caffeine Crew cast of pods, I am Rob Martin. We are back in full swing with three episodes to talk about as all shows have returned. I think, did they return last week? Or was it just, no, it was just Supergirl last week. That's yeah, right. yeah. It was just we we just had well, no, no. Last week we had nothing. We had a week off last week. Oh, that's right. Okay, that's why I'm a little confused. Yeah, yeah. It's we rarely take a full week off, but uh, God, all the shows nice. did. Yeah. yeah, all all the shows did. And actually, one of the shows said, "You know, this break's so nice. We're gonna plan to stop. We're gonna make it permanent." <laughs> yeah. I oh, mean, that it's was, the beginning of the end. Beginning that was of the end for Arrow. Yeah, that was the uh, the big news that broke over the time that we were taking a break. And uh, it's it's pretty big. Uh, it's something we called for for months. We've been calling. Yeah, uh, yeah. We've we've been if you if you've been listening to the show, uh, Ben and I have been saying Arrow is going to end. I uh, guarantee next season is the end. Um, and a lot of people really were like, I don't think so. I think they're going to keep going. I think they have options to do all these things. Uh, we were dead on. Um, and. I, I I we'll we'll give you actually no do you, let's just talk about it. Right I, that's now. what I'm thinking. I think we should just let's talk just about it talk yeah. about it now and then this way it doesn't have to be be part of the news. And I mean yeah I mean it's something that we've called for a while now for for months now. I think the only thing we didn't call was the fact that it was going to be a shortened season, which I think is smart. I do too. I think it's going to be because if you think about the fact of, you know, what we've been predicting is that Steven's going to be the sacrifice on Crisis on Infinite Earths next year during the crossover. And you're right. Like, what do you do with the rest of that season if our, if Steven is, the, if Oliver is the sacrifice? You can't go, you know, nine or ten episodes with Steven and then do, the re- do another, you know, 15 or 10, 12 episodes without him. I don't yeah, see how that yeah. works. Because I'll be honest, after even just watching what we have so far of this season, Emiko is not strong enough to carry the show. Um, and they and would I, have had I, to have brought her in a lot earlier. Yeah, I, I think she's just not doesn't have the weight that is necessary to to keep that show moving forward. Um, but I think the other piece too is, I mean, like I, I, you and I were talking a little bit. I have my official prediction on how next season's gonna flow. Um, you know, I think episode nine will be the Crisis on Infinite Earths crossover episode. And then I said episode 10 is kind of going to be essentially like funeral for a friend, kind of the saying goodbye episode, like for the cast, kind of like reflecting on Oliver's death. Uh, and then we're going to see the 
flash forwards into the future. And that's where we're going to see Oliver's return with the rest of the cast kind of all aged up like OTA and TA all of those pieces. Yeah. And then we'll see Oliver come back into the mix and it'll be basically because we do know he's back. Um, if they're still using legends of tomorrow. So they have to kind of, I think it's the way that you kind of like shoehorn that part in and allow that stuff to continue. Yeah. So I, I, I think it, I think it, it will close the loop and the timeline, but I think that's kind of the way to do it is that funeral for a friend episode. And I would love to see the other shows kind of take episode 10, um, all of all of their shows to, with the exception of Batwoman, cause it doesn't feel like it makes sense, but seeing kind of like flash and like Supergirl and all that kind of reflect on arrow. I think well, that would be really cool. In a, in a real sense, I'm uh, looking at everything. I think if if things were done smart, and I'm wondering what your opinion on this would be as well. I think because it seems like I mean, it, what we found out from because Stephen did an emotion, a very emotional. You could tell he was he was very emotional about it. Uh, did a Facebook Live video uh, that went on for like ten minutes, and he actually revealed that this is something that he talked to Greg Berlanti about at the end of season six. So. Even before this season started, he had already planned on making his exit. He had actually wanted to make his exit before that, uh, but, he, but he approached Greg Berlanti about it at the end of season six. It was actually, I think, more towards probably midway through season six, he was starting to question whether or not he wanted to continue with this. And this is where I jokingly say it was all because of Collision Course. But because I think, Collision Course was so bad, they're all like, let's not do this anymore. But I think there <laughs> might be some truth to that, in all honesty. I would not be surprised. I actually um, wouldn't be surprised. I mean, well, right around that time is also when we found out, like, Will Howland was leaving, Paul, Paul Blackthorn, Blackthorn yeah. was leaving. Um, it was all right around that same window. And we're at that you're at that point in season six where not only is the show kind of floundering a bit, but in addition to it, though, most of the original core cast, with the exception of David Ramsey and Emily, um, have all but left. Um, you know, like John Barrowman's not there anymore. It's a lot of the people that Steven really kind of was attached with and like spent a lot of all of this direct time with the conventions and all that stuff. And it doesn't make as much sense. And then we saw him start pulling away from things like heroes and villains and not really doing con appearances. Like, the, everything was set in motion. You could see that this was all happening. So Yeah. And then you, lo- you also look at the fact that he's, uh, he's kind of shifted more into a full feature and production state actor with Code 8. Um, so he's, he's been progressively moving his career in a different direction uh, over the course of, like, the past year and a half. And... You know, when you look at the fact of when he revealed that this was season six that he asked for his exit, and now you look at the the story progression that we're getting in season seven with the crossover that we got, with Crisis on Infinite Earths being announced for next year, with them doing future flashbacks, they've been setting this up this entire season, season seven, with him leaving in mind. Oh, yeah. yeah. Uh, it's It was already something we've hinted at that we got a feeling about, and that confirms our suspicions that they've been planning this. And I think, I'm wondering what your opinion on this would be too, is we're getting a shortened season of Arrow next season, and it's most likely going to be a build-up to Crisis on Infinite Earths with, as you mentioned, a Funeral for a Friend episode afterwards. I think, I'm thinking this is technically going to be shortened seasons for all the shows in a sense. In that, if they're smart, they should use the first 10 episodes of all the shows to build Crisis. Because with an event as that big, you're going to need it. And Um, then, post-Crisis... I 
I think it's wishful thinking. I think, unfortunately, we're, we're going to still get our norm. Uh, I mean, I, I think, you know, you're going to see Arrow probably reflect upon that a lot more. But I think all the other shows are going to still just just be. Um, and I think Arrow is the one that's going to reflect. Because I think, especially for Arrow, for its final ten episodes, if you're just focusing on the crisis angle the entire time, um, you forget to kind of play homage to everything that's come before it to be able to say, like, here's our last chance to use this villain or all these little pieces okay. and bring Anatoly in, all those all those little things. So I think they're going to take the ten episodes, well, not ten episodes, but probably like seven episodes to be able to really honor all of the previous characters. And that's when you're going to see some cameos. Maybe you'll see, like, Ragman come back in the mix or Helena Bertinelli come back in the mix for, like, a single episode um, you know, like you said, when we saw the 150th episode, we saw people like Sin show up, all these little pieces. Um, I would not be surprised if you see some of those things maybe occur um, just a little bit uh, where they can kind of like say these were the best parts of Arrow and then get to that final moment. This that way it has that punch. Yeah. Um, and I would not be surprised if they go that route. I, again, I would love to love for them to do the what your your thoughts are, because I think that's the best best solution for all the shows right now because i feel like it makes crisis something that big and i think it needs it um but i, th- I still think that they're going to be able to achieve it just off, off of what we saw in elseworlds this year but uh, yeah I, I would i would kill to see crisis be more of a larger scale thing and i so. think i think when when it had when you look at the scale of what crisis on infinite earths really does to the universe uh and probably most likely what it's going to do to the arrowverse plus to mention the fact that it's going to cost you a hero mm-hmm. um I think they should pay a little bit bigger to it. If not, maybe the full 10 episodes before it. I think you have to start building to the crossover one or two episodes before it happens. Uh, Yeah, I hope so. You have to start seeing the implications of this coming and then have the crossover be the actual event when it happens. Yeah, no, I would love to see that too. I mean, here's the positive. We have Batwoman in the mix now, so you do have five episodes you can pull from this time instead True. of three or four. So, and again, think about how much they accomplished in Elseworlds in three episodes. So, I think if they if they take advantage of a full five, um, there's a lot they can do, and I think that's a good thing. So, we'll we'll kind of see on how that's going to play out. I'm assuming, because- and I'm probably thinking the way they did with Elseworlds, where they rearranged the episodes, they most likely do the same thing. in Arrow will be the wrap up. Yeah, most Christ likely. Yeah, I think that'll make the most sense, or it'll be the second to last, and the final one will be the cast, you know, the teams all reflecting on the death of Oliver. So it's kind of the way it's going to see it's going to play out. But I think it's kind of funny, though, too, as we're talking about Arrow closing up shop, you know, permanently here. Um, this past summer, uh, we made a report uh, that was definitely very telling, which came from Mel basically saying, you know, with Beth Schwartz kind of stepping in and taking charge of things and all this moving forward. Um, it was just kind of like, hey, he told the writers team this year, pull out all the stops like this is going to be the last season. He's like, I don't yeah. want anybody holding anything back. And I was like, well, that was very telling. I think we even said back then that Arrow's going to wrap up. Yeah. And uh, yeah. Ta-da. Yeah. <laughs> so. I, I, I will say, you know, as much as we. It's kind of a double edged sword for us. I mean, like we're, we've been joking lately, like, hey, the countdown has begun. It's the beginning of the end. We only have to talk about hey, 18, 17 more episodes of Arrow on this podcast. But, you know, when you look back at it, you know, the show really did bring our fandom uh, of these. I mean, it launched this entire universe. So, there, oh, yeah, you know, it, it is a big loss of this show, you know, closing shop and, and shutting down and ending, uh, especially because of, of Steven and, you know, the opportunities that we've had to, uh, you know, and I've, t- I've talked to a, a couple people about this, you know, of 
it, for some people in this world, you know, the, the outpouring of love towards Steven when he made this announcement and, you know, the, the announcement was made from the producers uh, has been unbelievable. And it's it's been and I was one of them, you know, the people changing their, uh, you know, changing their their profile pictures or their their Facebook cover pictures of their pictures with Steven or their pictures with the cast. And like my picture is my picture of when I moderated the panel with him, Emily and David. And it makes you realize that this cast has been, you know, it has brought so many people into this world at even in just a small way by becoming the fans that they have been of meeting them. So I can understand now why there's such, there's been such an outpouring of love of this show coming to an end. Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, like you think about it, you know, Stephen has was kind of like the OT ambassador uh, for DC Comics since this launched. Um, how much he's done personally just to kind of steward this character into the new age with TV and bring in helping bring in characters like you know Black Canary and the Flash. And, you know, you think about all the characters that have come in and stepped into you know this universe because of that success that show had. And a lot of that success is because of Stephen Amell. So I think it's really phenomenal. Regardless, you can say whatever you want about the quality of, of Arrow as a show over over its tenure. Uh, but the work that he's done, as that, like not only as that character, but the ambassador for this brand, has been nothing but absolutely like, awe-inspiring. So. Yeah. I mean, and at the same time, when you, you mentioned you know, being the ambassador of everything, that puts a lot on his shoulders. And for as long as he's been doing this, you know, seven going on eight years – uh, you can kind of understand why the weight that he's had to carry with this and, and why he'd be wanting to kind of step away from it. Mm -hmm. So Absolutely, yeah. But again, in that video, you can also tell how, by how emotional he got by like how much it actually meant to him to do it. Mm -hmm. And, you know, huge respect to Steven for, you know, being able to say, you know, it, it's time to put this to an end rather than let it kind of fizzle out to a point when it's, you know, really should have been put behind the barn and shot, you know, seasons ago, like some mm -hmm. shows that are on right now, still into season 14 or 17, yeah. whatever. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> you know, nothing against Supernatural. I actually really liked Supernatural for a while. Um, you know, but it's, you know, it, it takes a lot to be able to say we, we should end this. And this is not the last we're going to see of Steven. It's not the last we're going to see of the rest of this cast. They're going to move on to other things, and the best thing we can say, as we've said before, is, you know, you want to show your love to these people for for what they did for you for Arrow by bringing Arrow into the mix. Um, just continue to support their careers after Arrow is, is gone. Yeah, and I think one of the other things that's going to be interesting now, too, is um, when a door closes like this for an actor playing a character, it opens a door for another actor to come in and create a brand new portrayal of that character. Um, maybe this means in a couple of years it might be time to see green, a new green arrow on the big screen. You know, all these little things. So all this stuff is fully possible. And that can be, while it's sometimes sad and everybody's going to be like, nope, Stephen Amell is always the green arrow. Yeah. Um, uh, think about it. People used to say that about, um, uh, I can't even remember who played green arrow in Smallville. Oh, um, uh, Justin Hartley. Justin Hartley. So, I mean, it's that beautiful thing is like there's always a chance for somebody else to come in and do something just amazing and inspiring. Um, so just look forward to the future for this character. But like you said, for the time being, man, like 
we've still got almost another 20 episodes with with Steven, uh, you know, under the hood. And we'll kind of go from there and see what brings us into season eight. And I have a feeling, again, we're going to see something really awesome next year. I, so, yeah, I, I, I do, too. And I really hope that's the case. Um, and just think about it this way, too. Even if that means we're just the, the only thing that really matters is we get John John Diggle finally uh, rocking that Green Lantern ring. Oh, hey, my it God. Was all, all worth it. Yes, all worth it. absolutely. Uh, the feedback on our Facebook page when we made the announcement was uh, a lot, <laughs> you know, a lot of likes, a lot of dislikes, sad emojis. And there's like five thousand people that looked at that post. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> <So>. <laughs> it's, it's ridiculous. Um, but one one comment in particular I did want to make mention of. Uh, and I actually asked them if I could because they shared a personal story. Um uh, it comes from Michael Carr, and he says, it sounds really stupid, which, Michael, it doesn't at all. Uh, but when I first started watching the show, I was seriously hurt and in a wheelchair. The show actually helped me to push through all the pe- personal training and all the other things that come along with a serious accident. So it's going to be sad to see it go. But with all good, thi- uh, but all with, with all good things that come to that come, all good things must go. Um, and he got a lot of love for that comment on, on the Facebook page, too, from the other listeners and followers as well so uh michael that's not a a stupid thought as well and i'm glad you know we're glad to hear that and this show has done that for so many people yeah it's it's been a great inspiration point for so many people and that's awesome and i'm really like i said it's i you may hear us dog on the show at times and that's only because again we're doing this from a critic's eye um, and that's really, you know, all it is. Again, you've heard us say a thousand and one times, we adore this cast. Yeah. We adore a lot of the stories that they've told. And we still stand behind the statement that to today for this season of all the shows, man, Arrow's got two of the absolute best. So we, we've seen the show bring some of the best episodes. So it brought some rough ones too. But I mean, that's any show that goes on for oh, seven years. That just happens. It's just normal. Um, well, you look at you look at Smallville yeah. that ran for ten. Yeah, um, it had its weak seasons. Trust me, I watched yeah. all ten seasons of Smallville. It had its weak seasons, and I know Steven said on the video that you know he was proud that Arrow was the longest running DC show on on CW, and somebody was like, "Well, no, Smallville has that." And I, I had to respond. I'm like, uh, "No, no, it doesn't. Smallville was only on CW for five. It ran for ten seasons, but it was on WB for five before that." And you know, their rebuttal was, "Well, CW." kind of is wb and like yeah but it's not so it's <laughs> it's semantics it, yeah exactly yeah yeah but i mean i've heard uh, i've heard people say to steven uh you know at cons and things like that like you know watching you do your salmon vi- your salmon ladder videos has you know uh inspired me to work out more i'm in better shape because of you i'm you know i'm happier because of this show it's it, it's it really does and i think that is why steven is so emotional when he makes this announcement is that mm-hmm. he knows what this show means to people. So he f- kind of probably not other than not just saying goodbye to it and saying goodbye to this world he's known for the past seven, eight years. He he knows it's going to be disappointing to people. Mm-hmm. But, you know, again, continue to support them in whatever they do in the future. And that's the best way you can pay homage to to everything that's going on. So my question is for you is this. Uh, after Arrow ends, do we still call it the Arrowverse? That's a good, you know, I didn't even think about that. That's, that's a really good question. I think the you Flashiverse. Do. I, no, you know, I think you do because it's, yeah. it's still Arrow it, that started it. Yeah. Um, it spawned it all. So, yeah. I mean, and even Grant, 
uh, you know, paid a nice homage to to Arrow. Yeah, I saw a really nice piece from him. So you know about how it was, uh, you know, never a chore, uh, you know, to work with him, you know, and and such. And it was it was a really nice piece. I'm sure you can find it online. And I think it ended with like, hey, with the, the show ending, does that mean we get to hang out more? Yeah, and it was really kind of just a little cute piece because they they have such a good bond whenever they hang out and talk. So, yeah, exactly. So but if you get All the right. chance to look that up, uh, you know, look that up as well. But it's all right. Yeah. Yeah. It, yeah I think I think we, we've said what we can about it. But you know what? Um, let's talk about this week. Yes, let's do that. Indeed. Uh, three shows all returning back. And we're only a couple weeks out from legends coming back as well which is going to be nice because i missed that show already yeah yeah uh but four but three episodes uh new episodes of supergirl arrow and the flash so we'll go through first doing our one two three point ranking uh that being sidekick hero or legend for each of the episodes and then we will jump back to the beginning once again and break them down so starting first with season four episode 13 of supergirl sidekick hero or legend I'm giving this one a legend. Um, Supergirl still continues to impress me week after week this season, and this one was absolutely no exception with the introduction of the Elite. Oh, man. Um, I was really, just honestly, very blown away and really thoroughly uh, am enjoying everything that this is uh, giving me. So. Yeah, uh, I'm right there with you. I, I'm giving this, a, it's, a, it's a low legend, but it's still a legend nonetheless. And, man, the Elite was just so much fun to watch. Uh, in this episode, see, I'm looking forward to going back and talking about that. And man, I know I'm getting ahead of myself, but looking forward to this week's episode of Supergirl with the introduction of uh, of John Cryer as Lex is going to be. Uh, God, I can't wait. Yeah. Uh, next, we have Arrow season seven, episode 14, sidekick hero or legend. I already know what yours is. Sidekick. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah, I, I was really tr hoping not to do that, but I, I, I really got stuck and was trying to think it through, and it took me oh, five minutes or so to really deeply think about where I fell, but yeah, I, unfortunately, this, this one just did not hit for me at all, so. Okay, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm not a sidekick, it's a low hero, and it's a shame that we're giving an episode, you know, such a low rating on a week of, you know, such a big announcement for the show, but it, you know, hey, you can't, we, you can't cater to the episode just because it's ending um but yeah it's a low low hero for me there were definitely a lot of flaws to this episode yeah i i would say i probably gave this about a three five i think you said you were about like a, a four or four like point five. Four, four five yeah yeah so, so like we we kind of end up kind of really close with each other on this one but yeah, yeah it was it was a lot to lot to be disappointed about so yeah but what well, you know we'll get into it uh when yeah. we go back and review and last but not least season five episode 15 an episode we've been looking forward to for a while uh of the flash sidekick hero or legend i mean how can you not give a legend to king shark <laughs> fighting gorilla grod and man man oh man they did a beautiful job with the cg like i so, said you know you get a couple rough spots every once in a, here and there but Man, they, they made that look beautiful. And uh, really, actually, I really thoroughly loved what they did with King Shark here. And uh, I wouldn't be surprised if this is also his very last appearance on The Flash. And and that's because it's something in the news that we're going to talk about. And not only did they did they do a great job with the CG, they did their research when it comes to sharks. Oh, my God. And I'm a shark nut, too. And I'm like, yay. They even brought up tonic mobility. Yes. I'm like, that's awesome. Yeah. So we'll, we'll, uh, we'll get back into that. Oh, I'm, I'm a legend as well. Uh, that was I almost didn't give my ranking because I thought it was a given. Uh, yeah, it's it's a legend for me as well, and I, I'm 
I'm glad that's going to be the last episode we talk about this week because it's going to be a lot of fun mm-hmm. to, to jump into. But let's jump back to the beginning and break down Supergirl Season 4, Episode 13. What's so funny about truth, justice, and the American way? Manchester Black breaks out of prison with the help of his new team, the Elite. Supergirl tries to apprehend Black and his team while dealing with a shocking new development involving Ben Lockwood. Uh, so... Uh, we we do see you know Ben Lockwood dealing with the president a lot more so yep, much so President so. President Tron <laughs> President Tron that's right uh, President Baker uh, who uh, you know by the end of this episode wants to you know because we do see Ben Lockwood ask the president to deputize the um, um, Children of Liberty the Children yeah. of Liberty and yeah. by the end he he gets I guess a form of it he can't deputize the entire uh the everybody from the children of liberty but we do see that ben lockwood is is offered a position in the white house yeah as... um head of alien affairs yeah um yeah <laughs> it's uh it's gonna be interesting to see how this is gonna play out but, but i will say this man like they're they're playing you know <laughs> bruce boxlinger is playing the president in such a wonderfully horrible sleazy way that you just want to hit him every time he talks isn't it funny um, how how true to life that is right now <laughs> yeah yeah seriously <laughs> uh but again though like in addition to that though I, oh my god why is his name escaping me uh the actor that plays ben Lock, lockwood oh same um, yeah same way we're um it, it, he continues to be just such a compelling villain uh, and I think, hands down, the absolute best villain they have ever had on Supergirl. But I love the fact that this episode not only focused on that, but they're making the elite some of the best villains the show has ever had. And I love the fact that it's we still know the Red Son Super, uh, or well, the Red Daughter Supergirl still is in the mix, and that still needs to pay, like play out, which is great. And you think about it on basically, it's this season is Supergirl surrounded on all sides. And that's such a great way. And then you don't even know how Lex is going to factor into all of this. There is so much greatness, I think, still to come this season. And it's already just consistently, I think, week after week, hit just hit the ball out of the park. And this episode was absolutely no exception. Yeah. Well, I mean, um, you, you mentioned Ben Lockwood being one of the best villains Supergirl has ever used. And we've talked about this before. One of the things that makes him so formidable as a villain is not the fact that he has abilities. It's the fact that he is somebody who believes he is truly doing good. And sometimes, a lot of times, those are the best villains. Um, you know, and now not only that, but he is proving to be somebody who is not just formidable, you know, physically because we do get that moment when he literally beats the hell out of somebody who he feels is going to be impeding on him being the leader of the children of liberty uh and he literally just beats them to death in the warehouse using his mask uh you know if that's not an example to everybody else that's watching that like hey i'm still in charge here but he's proving himself to be intelligent intelligently formidable you know from a political standpoint as well this is a man who's not only on the streets, he's in the White House. Yeah. You know, I that's mean, it, scary. It, yeah, and I, I think it's what's interesting about his character, and it continues to be, is the fact that he's not a sympathetic villain, but you understand why characters in that universe turn a sympathetic ear, is because the way he carries himself. It's the same way when you talk about U.S. politics right now, uh, to very lightly skim over that, but you understand with some people that are out there that are either opinion piece, uh, you know, newscasters and such, 
why they get a fan base is because the way that they kind of look at things and they kind of feed upon people's frustrations and anger and kind of turn that into a weapon uh, so much so that people just kind of follow suit. And it's it, they're they're writing it exactly how it's really happening. And I think that's why it works so incredibly well. Um, that mixed with the xenophobia that that show is dealing with kind of working with our real world. And for the longest time, you and I both said about the show that I, I would like for them to take a little bit of the real world out. But this is the first time to say, no, 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 keep doing what you're doing, because yeah. I think what you're doing is important. It's powerful and it continues to impress me. So, yeah. Um, shifting to kind of uh, over to the elite, uh, as you mentioned as well, too, with, you know, we've had Manchester Black. Uh, he's now teamed up with Menagerie. Hat, who <laughs> I loved Hat, um, and the Kalax alien, who we also saw incarcerated as well, is now part of the team. And we mentioned how much fun it was to get these characters. We were already big fans of Manchester Black when he was introduced, and now we're kind of, we've kind of getting that shift of Manchester into the Manchester that most most people know in the comics now as he's taken that villainous turn oh yeah he's already and he's sporting the purple hair now officially too which yeah. is like i was like that's fantastic but at the same time he's also somebody who you know i just mentioned it with ben lockwood this is another group of people that believe they're doing what's right yeah they're now but i mean they have abilities so that's takes them another step forward um, but, you know, they truly believe what they're doing is right. And, again, that's what makes them formidable. But not just formidable, but, again, it, it's I'm stammering over my words a, a lot. But this is just a group that was just so much fun to watch that if I get any time you could have some a, a particular person or a group of people that you could pull out of the series and put into their own and they could hold it that to me is a strong character base oh yeah i mean this felt like the legion of doom in, in legends of tomorrow or just an evil legends of tomorrow uh, again which was great i i think that's one of the things that this this universe can do really wonderfully is um making uh ensemble cast but having an ensemble villain cast like this is working wonderfully i mean you're right Menagerie and the Hat and the Calyx Alien all were were wonderful playing opposed with him. And it worked so wonderfully. And I think, you know, even the way that they had like uh, the Hat's actual fifth dimensional hat worked so wonderfully in this episode. The way that played off, obviously, fifth dimensional like Mitsuplex and all that stuff. So it, they they just got an opportunity to really do something special here. And Manchester continues to just make you just love hating his character in the same way that we loved to hate captain cold when he was introduced it's perfect it's really working wonderfully here oh i'm i'm absolutely completely wrong to anybody before you start to writing in kellex is not the alien from the the elite kellex is the alien in the um the fortress of solitude oh yep 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 the robot. sorry, sorry. is the robot in the fortress of solitude i saw kellex listed in the credits and i assumed that's what it was uh so i honestly don't remember the name of the alien that's in the elite yeah, yeah. Um, oh, I, I thought it was a Martian, but apparently I was wrong. No, uh, not a Dominator, not a Martian. It, it's a, it's a weird something in between. <laughs> so <laughs> yeah, um, let's talk a little bit about what's going on with uh, with um, with Alex. Is you know we're we're starting to see. Well, I mean, first off, we see that when it comes to this satellite that's in the air, 
uh, which is another storyline that we have to touch base on too with with Supergirl and this satellite that apparently is is a defense system for the Earth that anytime another alien craft comes in, they can basically just blow it out of the sky. Um, so it, it's, it's a big step to say to... Because when it comes to the political aspects of this series, Kara, a.k.a. Supergirl, has kind of ridden the line. She's tried not to pick a side. And now she's in a situation where she kind of has to. You know, you have this satellite that's being launched into, into orbit, and it's something that is, again, it's it, it's going to blow, it's going to basically shoot alien craft out of the sky so that nobody else can land on Earth. They've got enough aliens, they don't need any more. And to for her to let this satellite go into orbit, she's choosing to side with the president and it can be looked as if she's choosing with the children, she's siding with the children of liberty. If she takes it out of the air, then she's obviously chosen her side against everything. And that's a tough to sit. That's a tough position to be put into because when you're forced to choose a side, it, that's a lot of pressure. Yeah. And I, I, one of the things I really liked is I love how the elite kind of set her up to basically forced herself to take the action to have to destroy the thing setting her up to basically be a bad guy kind of like they were going to get whatever they wanted uh out of this situation either everybody in the white house staff is going to be killed um or um she's going to stop it and destroy it and make her an enemy of the country and it, it played off perfectly i love the way that it was kind of like no matter what she did she was kind of screwed yeah and, and i think that was you're right it was great because that adds so much to what's to come but you mentioned Alex in the mix and Alex making a stand and saying, no, what's happening is wrong. It was we see that moment of Kara, this episode, going to Alex's apartment and kind of like, look, uh, we just need to talk. And it was kind of like, I'm not going to reveal my identity, but this is what's happening and I need your help. And we saw her kind of that that bridge between where they were a couple episodes where she got her mind wiped. Uh, it's not like the truth is kind of seeping through yet, but. I think Alex is finding who she is or what she was. So I wouldn't see if she breaks through that on her own uh, and realizes, um, you know, before the end of all of this. So very, very much looking forward to seeing how that's going to play off. But it was really great to see her back in with the team, essentially. Yeah. And, and another interesting element of that whole thing, too, is the dynamic that it adds now with Colonel Haley actually not knowing about that. And, you know saying at the end when Alex confronts her on it, like the president broke protocol. Um, it's going to be interesting to see if we're going to see a switch in Colonel Haley as well, kind of side more with Alex than with her orders, because she's going to see an undermining element of the president because of this. And I think that's very, very possible. I mean, like I said, we got a little insight to her character a couple of weeks ago, uh, Haley, that is, where she even mentioned, she's like, well, no, sorry, I wasn't here. I was with my family. I was doing X. I was there with my daughter uh to kind of remind you she's not just this evil force you know yeah she's actually a person in, in behind this character and i think that's great that they kind of did that little small thing to remind you because if she does turn tail it, it, you, you're reminded she already had humanity it's just you're not focusing on it because of what the story is telling you but i think that it was a good setup a small moment that reminds you and to, to set up something that she could turn tail. Yeah. And, and I, I say, no, we're doing it differently. And I wouldn't be surprised for her to turn to Alex at some point and say, I, I know it's against protocol, but we should bring Supergirl into this. You know, yeah. and kind of be a way for Supergirl to come back into the DEO. 
Um, what are the other things real quick, too, for the DEO? We also saw this week that Lena and Miss Tessmacher are now working inside the DEO uh, and kind of took over the lab to work on their super uh, superhero kind of uh, power set, uh, you know, testing. So we'll see how that's going to play off. But we did see officially that she did take the offer to side with the government. Yeah, which is not sitting right with with James uh, uh, no. at all. Well, we saw last week they kind of broke up. I think they broke. I don't think they kind of broke up. I think they broke up. Oh yeah, no, they they definitely broke up. We even saw that kind of play off in the couple of scenes that we saw in Catco. It's kind of like, hey, do you want to look into this? And he's like, yeah, let's let's go, let's let's dig into Elcor again. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> kind of like I'm getting my revenge on this bitch. Yeah, um, <laughs> yeah exactly. Is that's kind of the way his scene played out this week? Because uh, we saw that same reporter that was digging in originally when that one person went missing. Uh, and it's just kind of like, oh, no, 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 you don't have to look into those. Or, or no, it was uh, the stuff off the books. Now it's coming into play on the person she did the testing with that went missing. So, yeah, we'll see that all tied together really nicely. And I think that was great. Uh, I think the other big piece is we continued to see uh, Dreamer learn her power set this week, which was super awesome. I really loved how that played off. Um, it was really fun to see her in the Fortress of Solitude uh, kind of learning a little bit more about, you know, her her race. And how they function, but I loved the the dynamic be- between Calix and Brainiac. Yes, that was the, that was. I was going to bring that up if you didn't. Which was really wonderful <laughs> watching them bicker back and forth. Uh, it was truly fun. But Brainiac had a big moment this week too, uh, and he lost his Legion ring. Yes, uh, inside uh, the hat's hat. So, uh, which is going to be annoying to say in the future. So, <laughs> just say inside the hat. Inside the hat, you know. but that, that's that sounds a little. Uh, you could you could read into that the wrong way. So yeah. we're gonna say inside the hat's hat. That sounds um, worse. <laughs> yeah, it does. <laughs> so yeah, I don't want to think about that too much. And it, it'll be interesting to see. I'm sure he'll get it back at some point. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's just gonna be a question of how. Uh, you know, my brain was wondering this piece. Wasn't there a Legion ring originally though inside the Fortress of Solitude? I I think there was actually. If memory serves correctly, and this is going back to the Flash, um, was where we saw that. I mean, so. unless it got destroyed when Kellex was was pounding on his anvil, which was another <laughs> line that we got from Brainy. Like, shouldn't you be go banging on your anvil? <laughs> I love that reference as well. Uh, but yeah, it's going to be because, I mean, Brainy is still formidable in his own without the ring, but like he he loses his ability of flight, um, and like his kind of like extra superpowers like his his strength and stuff like that goes away but but i mean yeah, intelligently it's... he's still a big member of that team even without that ring but you're right it kind of it kind of downgrades him quite a bit without that ring but i think that's great though because it made the elite that's much scary uh you know more that much more scary than they they first appeared to because if we're, of course you're kind of looking at the hat and he's like okay sure uh, you know some of the, the the combat scenes they did with him were really awesome but when that moment happened you're like oh damn uh, he no longer felt like a throwaway villain that was in that mix. He he felt like he had a major importance. So really yeah. looking forward to seeing where that's going to play. But yeah, it was, man, the elite rocked. They yeah. were so awesome. I know. I can't wait to see more of them. Uh, I, I'm very happy that it, it wasn't a one and done. And they, they're, we're going to see them continue on. Uh, you know, Menagerie was an okay villain, um, uh, you know, when they, they did stuff with her a couple weeks ago. But I think I want I can't wait to see her shine more with the elite. So 
but yeah, I think we, we've got a lot to be excited about still. Yeah, for sure. Uh, getting to listener feedback on the Facebook page, uh, Scott Vela says, looks like they're trying to wrap up the Agent of Liberty storyline. I like the elite stuff, but now I'm waiting for Luther and the Red Daughter storyline to pick up, which I'm mistaken is actually two weeks out. It's not this week's episode. It's next week's. Uh, Dave James says, I love the Karate Kid reference by Brainy when he mentioned Val. Uh, and Becky Davis says, I love Elite Manchester. Uh, Manchester is awesome, which we agree with for sure. Uh, looking forward at this week's episode, Stand and Deliver. Uh, it looks like, man, we talk about the political aspects of this show and reflections of real world. There are just looking at some of the images. There are uh, protest signs that say aliens welcome here. No borders, no nations uh, stand together. So it looks like the satellite was pretty much the Sh Supergirl's version of the border fence. Uh, and now we're going to see a split country when it comes to this in Supergirl as well. And people taking sides on whether or not there should be uh, this form of border security uh, amongst yeah. the, the Supergirl universe. So. I, I, can, I can't wait. If they can keep telling stories like this, I'm all in. Yeah. And uh, again, then I think the week after that is Oh Brother Where Art Thou, which is Lex, which, which is, is John Cryer. Which yeah. is John Cryer, yeah. Which they've already released uh, the promo for and... And it's awesome. It looks um, awesome. And and, yeah. and for anybody who questioned John Cryer coming in as Lex, we were looking forward to it because we were interested in seeing what it brought. Uh, watch that promo because he's he comes across as a great Lex. He really does. And it, and it comes off as that presidential Lex, too, by the way, which is great. Superman um, made me do it. Superman made me do it. That was fantastic. Yes. All right. Let's Arrow. talk about Arrow. Uh, season 7, episode 14, Brothers and Sisters. After months of covertly pursuing Dante, Diggle and Lila finally have a solid lead on the elusive terrorist, so they deploy the Argus Ghost Initiative to apprehend him. Meanwhile, Oliver tries to bond with Emiko. Uh, let's start with the Oliver and Emiko stuff, because I feel like that was... With an episode that's titled Brothers and Sisters, I feel like that was kind of the underlying storyline. And it should have been the primary storyline, in my opinion. I feel like they put too much focus on the ghost initiative element and not enough on Oliver and Emiko. Yeah, I, it, I felt like I didn't get anything from that. It was kind of like they were like, hey, sorry. You know, and it was really this Renee kind of like making a comment at, inside, you know, the Star City Police Department offices and kind of saying, hey, this is her mission. And you, how would you feel if somebody, when you started yours, took took your your father's list from your hands? You'd be pretty pissed. Yeah. And he's like, hey, sorry. Sorry, I'm getting in the way of trying to buy out your mom's killer. Uh, I should have just let you kind of run point. And that was essentially the entirety of the storyline. That was there was a couple quick fight scenes. And really, that was about it. I feel like I still don't. There's nothing about Emiko that makes her feel unique yet, and that's a big problem. Um, you know, we get this little stinger at the end of the episode. We'll get to that at the end here, but there was nothing really that brought anything special to to the like the fold with her, and it still continues to be a problem with her character. No, I mean, because um, even when they were going on the missions, other than the fact that she didn't listen when she went when they went to apprehend that one person, um, it felt like she was sidelined a lot. Uh, you know, through everything. I mean, and that was intentional. That was what Oliver was trying to do was kind of keep her protected and, and keep her to the side. Plus the fact that she wasn't deputized and she was working outside of the law. Uh, you know, 
kept her sidelined. But you're right. Like, even with everything going on, it didn't feel like her character progressed at all. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it was it, – She she's kind of been in limbo since they introduced her. Like, it feels like she – she doesn't have the gravitas I think she needs for a role like this. And I think that's that's a problem. It's nothing against the actress. I think it's, it has to do with the writing. Is they're not quite sure what to do with her yet and how to make her work. Because I think right now, aside from what it feels like we know we know who our big bad is at this point. But it, it feels kind of like a little bit of too little too late. And it feels like kind of a rehash of things we've seen in the past with like, Evelyn, uh, you know, who was Ar- or Artemis, all those pieces again. Um, and it just the only thing that's different is, hey, it's a sister. And I'm like, OK, well, make me care. Because like when I think of Oliver's sister, my brain just c- continues to think about Thea and how great and fun of a character she was and how much heart she had. And she was just a fully fleshed out character. And when I'm watching this one, I'm like, eh, she doesn't feel like she needs to be there. And that's really what it is. Yeah. And I th- I think part of that, too, is you mentioned, you know, with Thea being a fully fleshed out character is with Thea, we were given the time to to take that character and flush it out and develop it. And I think that absolutely would be the case with Emiko. But now that we know this show is ending, you don't have that time. Um, and I think if, if you were to bring Emiko in, as we, we've talked about before, the possibility of her carrying the torch after Oliver's gone, uh, you know, and carrying the hood in Oliver's stead after Oliver plays a sacrifice or whatever, um, you would have had to have brought Emiko in a lot earlier in order to build her up to get us to that point where we would trust her with something like that after Oliver is gone. But now with less than 20 episodes of this show left and you having to progress this story further, progress other storylines, uh, and, and continue on with, you know, now the crisis storyline that's going to be happening, you you haven't given yourself enough time to develop Emiko to the point where you need her to be. And I, you're right. I think it's just, it just doesn't sit right. I, I feel like she could be a great character, but we're just we're just not getting it yet at this point. Yeah, and I will say this too. I mean, you know, we're, you're going to hear us talk about the end of Arrow a lot when we talk about Arrow now because that really factors into them doing this right. Um, one of the big pieces with this is while the cast and crew may have just found out about certain things, I'm sure the cast, most of the cast members knew and they kept it quiet. But you know, Beth Schwartz, the showrunner, knew the show was ending next year. Yeah. When they were went into the season, Greg Berlanti knew. You know, Andrew. You know, not Andrew Kreisberg. Um, uh, Mark Guggenheim, Guggenheim um, knew, yeah, knew knew all these things. So it's not a shock to them. So they knew that they had to do this, and I think it's one of those things. Usually, a lot of times when you meet a new character, a lot of times you know if you're gonna like them. And when you met Emiko, I'm like, okay, and, and that's it was just kind of like okay, dot dot dot. Yeah, um, and that's I think that was the problem. And I think it's just they need to do something, and they need to, need to do it quick um, because I think they. The show is is going to have, I think, a really bumpy season if they don't iron this out fast. And I think they're I think they're really running on borrowed time. Well, so. I mean, let's also not let's also not forget, too, that this is we are how many episodes into the season now, 14 episodes into the season. And we are just now meeting our big bad. Mm-hmm. You know, it took a long time to get to that point at longer than they've ever done in any series before. Uh, and every previous season, we by this point, we had already not only met our big bad, but gotten into some formidable fights with our big bad, some, you know, um, some confrontations. So 
you know, Prometheus was already established at this point as being the big bad. Uh, Deathstroke was already established. They took a long time getting to this point. Uh, and that was something that we had mentioned numerous times is when are we, who is the big bad of this season? Uh, which I guess is a good reason to kind of shift over to the ghost initiative element of this, because that's what this, we do find out it's something we've predicted for a while that Dante was indeed going to be the big bad. And it looks like that is the case. So, and I will say, uh, as, as much as we're going to criticize these next couple minutes of, of the, what we thought of the series, uh, I will lead it off with this. It was really great seeing Adrian Paul on television again. It was. It, re- it really was. And I was just kind of like, hey, you know, Highlander's back for a second. I'm yeah, because like, cool. I was a um, really big fan of Highlander at the time. Yeah, the I was series. too. I absolutely was too. All right, let's get back into the Goshen Initiative because I've got things to say. Uh, I want to say, I want to start with one particular thing and then I'm just going to let you go off uh, okay. <laughs> on the way you were. Uh, and I actually thought this before I read this, but we had one piece of feedback from... Um, uh, online from our, our buddy Shad. And I agree with this. This is my biggest thought of it too when I watched it last night because I don't read our feedback until after I watch the episode. Uh, but Shad says, when news of season eight broke, I said I was okay with it because the show had run its course. This episode re- only reinforced that. Diaz was built up, this is the point, Diaz was built up as this huge villain, but now he just feels like a massive MacGuffin. And that's not even to mention that super strength that he had for all of two scenes hasn't even been brought up since. Mm-hmm. And and that to me was something I really stuck out to me because they did. They focused on that hard on one or two episodes of how he took that serum. He's now strong. Like he's basically Bane, but in te- well. Bane was intelligent in his own way, but like he's basically the bane of this series now without a mask. What happened to that? Like it's completely gone. They've written it off. Yeah, I, that's kind of what I was thinking of as well. <laughs> and one of the pieces for me that drove me nuts was like they made this big deal about the Ghost Initiative for weeks. It was enough to cause Curtis to leave all these little things the way that they kind of wrote these pieces into the mix. What was the purpose of it? Because the Ghost Initiative was just is done. It's done. It's already gone. It's already over. (laughs) The whole point, it's already finished. It it felt like they were kind of like, okay, well, how do we get rid of Diaz to bring in Dante? How do we get John to be not working at Argus anymore? And they're like, I know. Let's make, you know, uh, you know, the suicide squad, uh, task force. uh, I mean, the ghost initiative. (laughs) I have to do that every time we talk about it. It's important. Um, And I think it was just kind of like, why did you bother bringing people like, Cupid and China White and, you know, uh, Deathstroke Jr. into the mix here. And just (laughs) because it it didn't serve a purpose. It served zero purpose. You could have just said, hey, Diaz knows where Dante is. We're going to do this. And instead, they're like, we're going to make some flashy scenes of, you know, a version of, you know, (sighs) Suicide Squad that nobody's going to give a crap about. Because let's be honest, nobody gave a crap about a single one of those characters except maybe Diaz. And that was even kind of a maybe. Yeah. Um, and that's the problem because the original one, you had like Deadshot and all these other characters that were really fun and really great. And it, it made it interesting. And it teased at other things like Harley Quinn and all this stuff. It made you excited when they were doing something like this. Um, and this version just sucked. It, it, it was it served zero purpose to have in the show. And it was just it, it, it ate so much time because we spent so much time inside Argus. And the Argus stuff, I hate to say it, has been a bore. It has. It's been an absolute bore all season long. 
and the fact that they spent so much time setting something up that served zero purpose in the show only to disband it. It, it just felt like such an absolute waste of time. I, I will say the positive thing, though, that did come out of this Argus thing, and it's one of the things that I know a lot of people have been saying is they, they want to see Diggle suit up as Spartan again. And I think now that's what we're going to get because we see oh, that well, yeah. somebody has to take the bullet for everything that happened. And we see John step up and say, I'm, I'm going to put my career out there. I'm going to take the bullet. You have a job to do here. I, I'll step back. And I think that's a good thing for John. I think we need to see him kind of go back and team up with Team Arrow again because Spartan is going to be deputized. So why not go back to what you were doing initially and OTA is going to be back in full force again? Yeah, and that's I, exactly that's exactly what's and that's why I even said is like it felt like this whole Ghost Initiative thing was just to find a way to get John out of Argus, but yeah. like the writers were responsible for putting him there in the first place. Yeah, exactly. And it serves again, and it serves zero purpose, and it was just dumb. It just didn't make any sense. Now, um, here's my question to you: uh, By the end of this, we see Diaz apparently uh, doused with gasoline and a lighter thrown into the mix. Um, my, I have two questions for you. One, was this kind of done... Do you think this was done by Argus to just kind of be done with Diaz? Do you think there's an inside man in there by Dante that did that? And the, the second question, do we believe this is the end of Diaz finally? Uh, end of Diaz, no, and Dante. Uh, I think what Chad brought up about the serum is actually interesting because one of the things we did find out is when he was kind of got blown off the the rooftop by Black Siren last season. Um, the serum was kind of what helped him start healing. So I'm wondering if the serum is going to come back into the mix um, somehow to allow Diaz to start healing in some some way, shape, and form. There was something online I read um, that actually had to do with the Dante character that basically he brings his people in by baptiz- baptism by fire. Um, and that could be what they're doing here. So... Uh, basically it's cleansing flame. I think is what I saw specifically. It had to do with Dante. Okay. So, um, so this could be Diaz kind of being an underling for, for him, but I would not be surprised if they also just say, Hey, we're just going to write him off as well. And I think they may need to at this point in time, uh, because I think they really, if Dante is going to be our big bad, they need to start putting a heavy, heavy focus on him and they don't have a lot of time. Yeah. I I will say though, at one point, you know, it, we're just getting our main introduction of Dante in in the physical aspect of it. We've gotten mention of him for a while, and we're we're just now getting our first introduction of him. For someone who they, and this is a, a positive and a negative, it depends on how you look at it. This is Dante is somebody they're setting up for you know how formidable he is by making someone like Diaz afraid of Dante. So yes, I understand what you're going for by kind of putting that out there if Diaz is afraid of Dante how bad is Dante how bad is Dante but at the same time you've never really built up Diaz to be as formidable as you wanted him to be uh you know by making him constantly beaten by putting him in the ghost initiative uh it's what I'm saying kind of coming across yeah okay yeah like I understand what you're going for in making somebody like Diaz afraid of Dante to kind of set up how bad Dante is. But that point doesn't come across as perfectly as it should have when you haven't set up Dante to be that formidable yet either. 
I mean, they have, but it's all been show, not tell. It's just yeah. all the all the reports at Argus is like, oh, he's such this, he's such that. And I'm like, no, no, no. Stop telling us he is. Show us he is. Yes. And that's my problem with one of the problems with this 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 season for the show. It's been so much verbal buildup without actually giving us any meat. And I think that's the problem. This season has been so much all talk, uh, not a lot of action. And I think that's a problem for a show that prides itself in its action. I'm like, it doesn't make sense. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, So let's talk about the future. Uh, Not the future of the series, but the future in the show. Do we have to? (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) Well, I didn't. You know what, though? I I didn't think the future stuff was that bad. No, Um, it, it was just. We do get confirmation that um, that Connor Hawk is the adopted son of John Diggle. We know that he's relatively probably close to the same age as um, as as Mia. So we have to assume that with Felicity being pregnant now, the, the adoption of this son has to be coming sometime relatively soon. Uh, if they're around the same age as each other. Yeah. So... so it's going to be interesting, though, to me to see if I wonder if they're going to put a twist on who Connor's parents, real parents, really are. Uh, you know, is there some kind of circumstance where he's going to have to kind of step in and become the surrogate father of, of adopted father of Connor Hawk because of something happening to his parents that will meet at some point? Or is it just something as simple as. Him and Lila wanted to have another baby. Lila's too busy to go through childbirth because of Argus, so they adopt one. Uh, or the other pieces, too. Maybe with whatever goes down with Argus and John, he has to kind of step into the shadows a bit. And they try to disconnect the two of them, the family, in some way, shape, or form. Uh, I don't know. I have no idea what they're planning on doing or how they're going to get around this one, but it, it's a big wait and see. Yeah. So um, I, I will say this though, uh, Mia uh, is is annoying. <laughs> so. Oh my god, I'm. I was okay with Mia in earlier episodes, but yeah, this episode she really did come across as as kind of uh, kind of bitchy and whiny. She is her do- uh, her mother's daughter. <laughs> <laughs> so yes, uh, yes, she most cause... certainly is. God damn, I just wanted her to not talk anymore. <laughs> so, I mean, granted, again, her and William by the end of the episode, I, I'm curious to see where things are going, but I, I the future story is just dragging. It's it's such a slog, and I just, ugh. <laughs> it, it feels like the flashbacks of old, um, and it's just kind of like, please, just do we do we need to do this? It's just, <laughs> yeah. let's keep going forward. It, it's... I don't know. I, I just it, it's moving into snail's pace. And I think that's the problem. Nothing really is happening. And it's more kind of like, don't you want to see where this character is? I'm like, I really don't care. But I know you're going to like drag this out for another six episodes to show me somebody else. Uh, and it just keeps playing that way. But yeah, Mia and Blackstar, I think, is again, it's not hitting. I think they. As I mentioned a couple weeks ago, it was kind of like this whole angle of, hey, look, secret sisters nonstop. And I'm like, no, don't. It feels like they're falling so deep into to soap opera tropes, and I think the dialogue is almost kind of falling into that realm at times, a little bit more so than it used to. And I think that's that's been a little troublesome. So. Yeah. Um, as far as this, the episode goes, I think the only other thing that we haven't mentioned, uh, you know, was the Felicity and Laurel aspect. Yeah, of... we. Don't... Let's just skip over that. 
<laughs> there's nothing really there. I mean, it's I I can sum it up with just a couple sentences in that you know Laurel or uh, Felicity sees an opportunity to end to end Diaz himself uh, teams up with Laurel. Laurel really doesn't want to do it anymore. Everybody's against Felicity. Wah wah wah. And you know by the end she still ends up not doing it and letting Diggle capture Diaz. Done. Yeah. That's it. That's what happens. Uh, and aside from that, yes, there's the confirmation that, yes, Felicity is pregnant. Felicity uh, fans, rejoice, rejoice, rejoice. Felicity, <laughs> baby, here we go. Huzzah. Okay, moving on to our next show. <laughs> yes, absolutely. The other thing that really bothered me a little bit, too, was, um, uh, you know, in the future, and I'll wrap up with this, is William talking to... Um, you know, talk, talking to talking to Mia and saying our parents. No, they were not your parents. Felicity was not your mother. Your mother was killed. Stop calling Felicity your mother. You spent maybe a year with her at best. Uh, and she was basically your stepmom. Uh, they were not your parents in exclamation points. They were Mia's parents. Eh, semantics. Exactly. It. I don't know. It's just. It's the whole "We Are the Flash" thing over again for me. Although I'm accepting eh. of the "We Are the Flash" thing now. Eh, well, again, it's still stepmom can be somebody's mom though. Like, like true. We're yeah. biological parents. Sometimes really don't matter. <laughs> so it's, okay. There's there's truth to that. So so. Uh, all right. Looking forward to this week's episode of Arrow, episode fifteen, Training Day. Team Arrow attempts to work with Star with the Star City Police Department, but much of Oliver's frustration, uh, but much of Oliver's frustration. Okay, that doesn't make sense at all. Uh, things don't go as planned. Meanwhile, Dinah gets some life changing news. Uh oh, is Dinah having a baby too? <laughs> she also has a secret sister. <laughs> Yay! <laughs> Uh, life-changing news. Uh, we will spoil that for you, Neil, even though they, we don't know about this, but it's pretty obvious. Hey, her canary cry no longer works. Yeah. Moving on. Yeah. That's Let's just skip ahead. We already knew that weeks. from the flash forwards. Come on. Yes. Um, so, all right, let's move forward. Uh, final episode to talk about this week, uh, would be the flash season five, episode 15 King shark versus gorilla grod. When gorilla grod attacks central city, Barry and friends find themselves teaming up with King shark. When they hit a snag, they bring in Dr. Tanya, Tanya Lambden to try to reach the man behind the shark. I have, before we start talking about this, I have one question and mm -hmm. I'm probably wrong about it. Uh, which is why I'm questioning it. The last time we saw Grodd, mm -hmm. I was under the impression was Gorilla City. Yes, but that the Gorilla City was the first part. The second part, Grodd was back in Star City. Okay, that's what I forgot. Because they 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 brought they brought the you know Gorilla City to Star City to kind of overtake things. And that's where Argus locked him up. Okay, that's that's the part that I forgot. That was the part was like. Because as I'm watching this, I was like, wait a minute. I thought Gorilla Grodd was in Gorilla City. And that's my brain did that, too. And I had to think about it. And then I ended up double checking myself online. I'm like, yep, that's right. And I'm like, I forgot about that part. OK, All right. it's, it's been a while. It's yeah. So I think the last time we saw Grodd was like early to mid last year. So, OK. All right. That makes sense. Then that was what I was kind of confused about. And now it's uh, it's already done. So good. I'm, I'm glad. 
Um, but yeah, let's talk about this. I mean, uh, other than the fact that we're getting uh, King Shark versus Gorilla God, which is something we've been looking forward to for a while, I have to say, man, oh man, it was so great seeing Joe again on the series. Oh my God, it was wonderful. Uh, Jesse Yay, Al- Papa Joe has returned. Yes, this was Jesse L. Martin's first episode back since leaving because of his back issues. And it, you don't realize how much you missed him until he's back. And it just, and I, and it wasn't just the fact of, I, I, of him saying like, "Hey, I'm back. I'm I'm Joe again, and I'm I'm back on this series." But one of the scenes that we see him in is working out with Iris, you know, mm-hmm. in a gym. So it's not like, "Hey, I'm back." It's I'm back. My back's good too, bitches. Like I'm. I'm back. Yeah. So can I say I'm back any more times? Uh, <laughs> yeah, but it was. It I'm was back. So, my back. <laughs> I, it was so great seeing Joe uh, finally return to the series. Oh, yeah, totally. Right there with you. So outside of that. Uh, Two giant CG monsters beat the hell out of each other. Yeah, I mean, that's pretty much the premise of the show is we see. You know, that we have the metahuman cure. They want to use it on King Shark. Part of me was like, uh, that would be cool to see if it works. Part The other part of me was like, no, don't do it because I want to see Killer Shark come back again. Uh, and they kind of were able to do both in this episode. We got to see the metahuman cure work. And we know that if they decide to do it, King Shark could return. But if he does, it's going to be in a whole new way. Because of the way this episode wraps. And honestly, just one of the best moments and lines of this episode, Hail to the King. Yes. Uh, Oh, my God. That was just fantastic. I I loved watching him, you know, and having Shay Landon kind of be a good guy in this one. Uh, It was really, really cool to see that playoff. And every time I see King Shark on the show, it's so stunning. Like, his character design just looks gorgeous. And it's amazing to this day still that this is something that's on TV. Yeah. Um, they really just blew it, blew it out of the, blew it out of the water. No pun intended, but um, you know, like we, we always go back and say, you know, this is the, mo- this is the character that had Kevin Smith drop everything he was doing. He's like, I, I, I love everything that they're doing here. This is amazing. Um, and again, they didn't disappoint on this. Like when we got our big gorilla city fight, you know, a couple of years ago, it looked awesome. This blew that out of the water uh, in a single episode, just watching these two characters duke it out uh, and just constantly seeing these characters in motion. It was so wonderful and so just great to see play out. So, yeah. And I mean, one of the other things, too, that somebody had brought up to me, too, was I didn't they said to me that I didn't realize Gorilla Grodd. I, I didn't realize there was that much of a size difference between King Shark and Gorilla Grodd. And I was like, well, Gorilla Grodd is basically just an ape like he's just super intelligent there's he's slightly bigger than a normal ape but he's still just an ape mm-hmm. so yeah i mean there's a formidable size difference between the two of them but it's not gorilla Grodd's size that makes him formidable it's his intelligence yeah um but he does have the strength of an ape so that's still frightening as shit um mm-hmm. you know so yeah that there was a, a a big formidable size difference and it was really great seeing uh the fact that yes while he's not as big as king shark uh, you really were worried for King Shark at certain times. Yeah. Uh, you know, because one of the things that we didn't know was we knew that this fight was going to happen at some point this season, but we didn't know 
in what way this was going to happen. We didn't know was one of them working for Team Flash, which we find out was the case with King Shark. Uh, but we also, you know, it could have been like, hey, these two villains just happened to try and take over the city at the same time. And they're duking it out over who gets to take over the city, which would have been fun at the same time, too. But the way they did it with the romantic element with him and, uh, you know, Dr. Lambden and, and, you know, with Shay and Tanya, adding that romantic element added so much more emotion and um, nuance to this story that I I don't think they could have done it any other way and it been better. Right, and I really like the way that they played King Shark, even to the point kind of saying is like, look, he's like, the reason he attacked people is it, the the predator part of the brain, uh, the the shark mind took over a human, and he couldn't think through that anymore. It was what Doctor Landon was doing that was allowed that allowed him to kind of regain his humanity, and I, it was it was fun to watch that play because it worked so well too. Even though we didn't get Cicada in this mix, you know, we we got that that question of that humanity again and, you know, and oh, the, the, you know, cure being a choice uh, and how that's going to play off. And we saw that, that storyline play across to Barry later on where he was just kind of like, no, we're going to offer the cure to Cicada. We're, we're not going to force it on him. It's, you know, even our enemies have an opportunity to kind of change for the better, which is the lesson that is really important that has always made the flash, the flash, and I think it was great that that was one of the last steps for him to truly become, um, you know, the hero we know of very, very well, regardless of the outcome. I mean, we've seen him already look at that in the past where Nora's even asked him, do you think even somebody like the reverse Flash could change? And it was that question of, he's like, well, I don't know. But I think this is the one that kind of solidified some things. So it was cool to see that kind of play out. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I, I, I think really you're right, though, what they did here. And I got to say, one of the greatest moments of this episode was watching excess and flash throw a lightning bolt. Oh, that was so cool. And triggered down into King shark to wake him up, to give him a chance to basically take that electrical impulse and kind of do a, 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 you know, a a lightning punch to, to Grodd, which was just amazing. Like King shark's eyes had the, like the lightning in them. It just looked so fantastic. Yeah, I mean, and that's one of the things we mentioned at the top of the episode too was they did their research when it came to sh- when it comes to sharks. <coughs> Ooh, excuse me, uh, you know the whole hanging upside down, putting them in a, in a trance, uh, you know. And you mentioned uh, what's the word you mentioned? Well, it's yeah, when they're upside down, it's called tonic immobility. That's it. Okay. Uh, it basically puts them kind of essentially in a coma, so yeah. for uh, for a moment until they can kind of shift. I mean, if you've ever if you're a shark nut like myself, like and if you watch Shark Week, one of the coolest <laughs> things in the world to see is watching scientists put great whites into tonic immobility where they just kind of freeze up and you're like, holy crap. Uh, you know, you've got this like 16, 17 foot great white. Basically you're balancing it on your fingertips and it's just kind of frozen. Um, it's, and it, the fact that they did this here, it was cool. It was a really cool twist of way to do that. And they can never remember the name of the little black spots, but that's basically the electrical impulses on, on sharks. But they use that to find a way to harness the lightning. And I'm like, this was just brilliant. Every little thing that they did, it just made me smile so much. Yeah, I, I don't really think there's there's a lot more we can kind of break down. This was just a great, uh, you know, punch for it punch. 
it was a wonderful popcorn episode of The Flash. Yeah, exactly. I mean, there, there are a couple repercussions by the end of it. And as you mentioned already with Barry wanting to offer things to Cicada. Uh, do we think this is something... Because we've kind of been hinting at the fact that we think Reverse Flash is the true big bad of the season and not Cicada. Um, so if it does come to that where they offer... Because I think Cicada is going to fight them until they get to a point where they can offer it to him. So there's still going to be another fight in the mix. It's not going to be something where they're just going to happen to go in front of him and say, here, here, take this. Um, they're they're going to have to kind of urge this on him to, to do this. Um, but with Reverse Flash possibly being the big bad of the season, do you think that would be okay if that's how the Cicada story wrapped? I, I, I think so. I mean, again, I just want to see him play it off. I, I think the Flash is... Had a little bit of a bumpy season this year. I mean, there's been a lot of great things, but there's also been a lot of, meh, you know, like the overall villain, uh, you know, has been kind of a drag. But I, I think there's still enough time because they have things are, are out there and it make are making you question things, which I think this is where I think Arrow and the Flash differ this year is you do have Cicada, which was established early on and you feel and understand his character. It's just going on for a long time, but you're yeah. still not sure if he's going to be the big bad because Reverse Flash is kind of feels like he's manipulating things from the background. But you don't know if he really is. Maybe he is trying to change for the better. You know, we got those conversations earlier in the season at Nora asking Barry and he brings up things like, you know, Captain Cold. And now we see this with King Shark. So maybe this is them building up to, yes, Reverse Flash can change. Um, or it could be saying Cicada can change. It could be all these little things. So I think they're setting an interesting groundwork, and I think there's still something for them to pull over our eyes before the end. So I think that's where I think Arrow is kind of like we, we're, we're just getting really we're just late to the game because Diaz very much is not our big bad. So and Diaz. I think that's 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 I think where where we've kind of have the big difference between the two shows. OK, uh, the only other point I have to make before we uh, before I, I mention the feedback and we move on to DC News, unless you have anything else to make. Um, not really. I get it was a really just awesome, fun episode. I think the one other thing that came out of this episode for me is apparently the Flash Museum knows absolutely nothing about the Flash. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, with uh, with excess believing that speedsters have immunity to Gorilla Grodd. Um, the only thing I read online is that it's, it's possibly something that could happen later. Um, it, it's something, an ability that they can hone a little bit later on. But as of now, that's not the case at all. And the Flash Museum is dead wrong about that. Yeah. Very possible. Um, again, and it, could this be done by you know, reporters' eyes? You know, maybe not like Iris, but like it's the public opinion. If everybody else is frozen, but the Flash can keep fighting, they're not thinking about the tech involved to do that. So, yeah, it, that's it, true. It makes sense. It makes sense if it's a the the public eye that's the one that's created the Flash Museum to celebrate the Flash. So, be very interested to see how that continues to play. But it could be right. It could be setting up something for the future. So. Yeah. Well, it's just a wait and see. Uh, so looking forward to this week's episode, uh, episode 16, failure is an orphan. When the metahuman cure is ready to use, Barry and the team figure out a way to subdue Cicada long enough to take it. Killer Frost steps in with a help with it. Well, Killer Frost steps in to help with the plan. Uh, Joe eases back into work. Nora isn't happy about her dad's plan to stop Cicada. And I think if I read online correctly, this is the episode where they are going to find out about Eobard. Oh, cool. So uh, we'll see how, how that plays out. Awesome. 
Uh, but yeah, so that's the wrap up of the breakdown of the three episodes this week. Let's shift things uh, over. Oh, uh, oh, listener feedback. Listener flash. feedback. You're right. Um, uh, we have. There's only two. Uh, our buddy Shad. Holy crap! King Shark is voiced by Solid Snake. For all you uh, Metal <laughs> Gear Solid. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> for uh, all you Metal Gear, Metal Gear Solid uh, facts out there. Uh, and Mike Hackney. Uh, long live the king, baby. Freaking love this episode from beginning to end. Felt like I was reading a comic book. The CGI was amazing. Father-daughter lightning punch was amazing. And Grodd, effing amazing. And most importantly, welcome back, Papa Jill. Yeah. So, <laughs> uh, yeah, so thanks for the listener feedback. And we're going to continue to put those posts up after every episode. Uh, because we love the fact that the feedback's coming in. And we love going to it now during the podcast and reading it. <coughs> oh, excuse Indeed. me again. That's uh, all right. But now let's move on to news in the world of DC. All right. So we're going to obviously skip the big one because we talked about it at the top yeah. of the show. So we'll just kind of go through the rest. Uh, let's start in the film universe. Uh, so real quick, uh, during an interview, actually, somebody asked Ben Affleck if he'd still consider actually ever directing a DC movie. And he said, uh, he's like, I'd manage it. It would be weird to step in and do another character. But I can certainly imagine directing a movie. You know, if, if DC would have me, if it was something I was passionate about, he's like, absolutely. Um, so, like I said, uh, never say never, but it sounds like as far as playing characters, that is done, done, and done. Hey, man, he's a great director. Um, he is. I'd uh, love so, to see him take on something in the future. Yeah, so. me too. All right, let's uh, get a little bit of Suicide Squad 2 stuff out of the way. Uh, so, first things first, uh, there's a couple things that we do know officially. Um, 100%, uh, because we haven't gotten to talk to you guys in the last two weeks Will Smith is officially out uh, from the film, as is actor Joel Kidman, who played Rick Flagg. Uh, we know officially they are not returning. Um, again, the reason for Will Smith is purely a scheduling conflict because of the timing for the Suicide Squad 2's filming you know, timeline. It just was not humanly possible. There are heavy, heavy rumors, not officially confirmed yet at this point in time, but Idris Elba could be stepping into the role as Deadshot. Which, man, oh, man, how awesome would Dude, that be? Dude, I would be totally down for that. Because Idris Elba, to me, I've, it's funny, I've had conversations when I used to work at my old job. I've had conversations with one of my old coworkers. And we would literally cast Idris Elba in anything. <laughs> yeah. Uh, he, like, I wanted him to be the new Bond. He's playing the villain in the new, like, Hobbs and whatever movie from... Uh, Hobbs and Shaw, I think Hobbs it is. Hobbs and Shaw, which actually looks a lot of fun. Um, he's just a, a fantastic actor. I would watch him in anything, including Deadshot. Yeah, I think he's going to be, I, I think if that's the case, yeah, he's going to be a fantastic new Deadshot, um, just taking over the role. Uh, and you know what? I can't wait to see what they potentially do with it. Uh, we do know it sounds like that Harley Quinn is going to be definitely coming back, but it sounds like we have our tentative list of characters that are going to be the new Suicide Squad. Uh, so obviously uh, the potential Idris Elba, Deadshot, uh, Margot Robbie coming in and Harley Quinn. Uh, but after that, it sounds like we're going to get the Rat Catcher, but it sounds like it's going to be a, a gender swap. So we're going to get a female version of the Rat Catcher. So classic uh, kind of character. Uh, Polka Dot Man, which is kind of a fun, fun <laughs> throwback, which is a character we've seen in Batman Brave and the Bold. Um, if you're not familiar with this character, super, super cheesy, but can pull out almost any weapon out of his polka dots, uh, which is kind of fun. Hey, man, uh, the, if Doom Patrol can give us animal, vegetable, mineral, man, 
Yes. <laughs> and then I'll take anything at this point. Seriously. Uh, Peacemaker, which is uh, heavily rumored to be played by Dave Bautista, uh, potentially jumping ship from Guardians of the Galaxy to come over to play that character along James Gunn. He's been a longtime James Gunn supporter. Yeah. Uh, and he said, he, please feel free to cast me in this film. But it sounds like he could heavily be playing kind of essentially the new Rick Flag kind of role. Uh, but last but not least, uh, the reason that I mentioned on The Flash, this could be the last time we're seeing King Shark, is because King Shark is slated to be in the Suicide Squad. Oh, um, really? So, And it sounds like they did state that it's going to be the more comic ver- uh, comic book version look, which is the Hammerhead Shark version of King Shark that we see currently in the comic books. So uh, kind of uh, splitting up between the versions that we're seeing from TV to film. Got so, uh, so uh, and it sounds like officially, too, that uh, James Gunn is going to be looking heavily at the John Ostrander and Kim Yale's run on Suicide Squad, which started in the late 80s, post-Crisis on Infinite Earths, uh, which ran for 60 issues. They were in the, the read, read, like, ran that book for a very long time, and everybody kind of considers that run to be the definitive run of Suicide Squad. So uh, they're pulling from great source material, so I think they've, they've definitely got it, if that's the case. Uh, very interestingly, though, jumping over into the potential Black Adam script, uh, it's reporting that we may see two very interesting characters also added into that mix along Dwayne The Rock Johnson portraying Black Adam. And that is none other than Hawkman and Stargirl. Uh, so some JSA characters in the mix, which could be very interesting. Uh, so we're kind of we'll see on how that's going to play. Um, so big wait and see if that's going to be truly the case or not. Yeah. Um, so just uh, take that with a grain of salt for the time being, but we'll have more on that soon. Uh, Shazam's official runtime has been officially revealed as 132 minutes, so two hours and 12 minutes. Um, and the first responses for the film are out there. Uh, there has already been a showing to the press, not just fans, but press. And they are all speaking incredibly, incredibly highly of the Zach Levi starred film. So really excited to uh, get a chance to check that out. But all the early reactions, again, they were saying it is brilliant. A lot of people saying as far as the critics, and again, not fans, critics are saying this, are saying this is unlike anything DC has ever done before and is damn near perfect. I can't wait. So uh, that's really awesome to hear. Yeah. So I um, really can't wait. Yeah. Uh, so CW has officially announced the season finale dates for the Arrowverse series and, and including Black Lightning. Uh, so officially, let me see if they have it broken down here. So Black Lightning is wrapping up March 18th at 9 p.m. Eastern time. Arrow is going to be finishing up May 13th at 9 p.m. Eastern. The Flash is going to be ending up on Tuesday, May 14th at 8 p.m. Eastern. Supergirl, Sunday, May 19th at 8 p.m. And Legends of Tomorrow, May 20th at 8 p.m. So uh, it'll be a nice big heavy week that week uh, as we go and run through um you know, the week prior to, we'll have Arrow and Flash. The week following, Supergirl and Legends of Tomorrow. Yep. So, uh, jumping over into a little bit of Arrow news, uh, we have found out that Ernie Hudson is going to be uh, coming in into an upcoming episode uh, that he's going to be uh, squaring off against John Diggle in an episode called Spartan. So, like I said, we'll be hearing that, uh, checking that out. That is episode, it looks like, uh, 719, so the 19th episode of this season. So we'll be hearing from more about that very, very soon. Jumping into legends of tomorrow. We have found out officially Jess McKellen is also returning as a series regular for season five next year. 
So also great news for Legends of Tomorrow and what could be its final season. Uh, jumping into some great, fun, wonderful things over on the side of the DC Universe streaming service. Titans has cast its Superboy. So we have our very our, our uh, a casting announcement for, for Connor Kent. And that is Joshua Orphan, uh, which is really fantastic because, again, he, if you've kind of been following a little bit, has been uh, posting some stuff on his Instagram and actually did that cover where we saw kind of the sides of his head a little bit shaved. He had a black T-shirt on, and he put a duct-taped S on the back and looking over his shoulder, kind of pointing at it with his thumb, <laughs> similar to that comic book from Reign of Superman, which was awesome. Yeah. Um, so I'm really excited to see it. He, he's got this fantastic look for the character, too, so really looking forward to seeing. But uh, he actually was from, I think, uh, the Blake Mysteries Ghost Stories for the Seven Network and is going to be seen in an upcoming show called Upright for Foxtel. So uh, he is from, he's an Australian actor. So, so we'll be seeing him join in the mix for season two. And last but not least, uh, a really fun nod and a continuing trend of DC, but Adrian Barbeau is going to be appearing in Swamp Thing. I was so, uh, I was so happy that that made me smile to see that. So very cool. The fact that she is going to be doing that. And she just tweeted happy to be headed back to the swamps. Uh, so really, really awesome to see the fact that she's jumping into the fray. Uh, and I think, again, it's something that we thoroughly always love about DC. But that wraps it up for the news for this week. Cool. Um, I think the only other thing that we have to bring up before we, we get to our cheap plugs and our recommendations is you and I kind of talked about something last night uh, about something that the show, our podcast, covers that I don't think – I think we've made a decision – in that it's something uh, we're not going to continue to cover. Um, we've, you know, over the course of this podcast, we, we've covered all of the Arrowverse shows. We've covered uh, Gotham and we've talked about Black Lightning. And now we're talking about, uh, you know, all the stuff that's on the DC streaming universe from, you know, Titans to Doom Patrol. Uh, we're going to talk about Swamp Thing and Power Girl and Harley Quinn when they all come out. We're going to be reviewing the Young Justice coming up soon when Young... that second part finally airs. Yeah. So, I mean, and Batwoman when Batwoman debuts next season. There's a lot of content out there. Um, and I think you and I were pretty decided last. And it's nothing against the show. Uh, it's just purely time-wise and 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 you got to look at it this way when seasons start next year if batwoman gets picked up that means when our season runs next year we have five shows we have to review yeah all at once and that's a lot um and that's gonna be tricky and take a lot out of us in the beginning so uh so go ahead i'll let you make that the the official announcement yeah i i think uh going forward i i i think we're going to be dropping uh, arrow flat. No, we're not dropping any of those. Um, we're, Aww. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no black lightning is going to go by the wayside, uh, for yes. right. Um, most likely for good. Um, it, there's a chance we might come back to it a little bit later. Uh, if, if we if, find out, Hey guys, it's going to be now tied to the Arrowverse. We will absolutely include it back in the mix. But right now it's one of those things is one of these things is not like the other. And I, I think right now it's just time is not on our side to be, to be able to do it yeah i mean there's so many dc properties out there i mean we review the films when they come out we talk about the shows when they debut uh we did give black lightning a first season run so we did talk about those episodes when they aired uh you know krypton we kind of spent a couple minutes on here and there but we never really got into it 
Uh, so, yeah, so I, th I feel like we have to balance things out. We have to feel what fits in, what doesn't. So while we did talk about Black Lightning Season 1, I don't think we're going to be talking about Season 2 or the show going forward. Doesn't mean we're not viewers. Doesn't mean we don't like the show. It's just simply time-wise, we kind of have to choose. It's um, kind of like we, we're, we're, we're basically running the Arrowverse and the DC Universe, uh, essentially. And it's it feels like it makes the most sense right now for us uh, that that's what we need to do. Yeah. Exactly. So, because uh, so, even our yeah, because even our format on the DC Universe stuff, we're we're basically doing full seasons in three episodes. Yes, um, we're doing the pilot, and then we're going yeah. back and re and doing full seasons in three episodes. Yeah. So it's it feels like it's the right fit for us, um, you know. And we still have a summer to get into. Uh, you are in full hard swing on Phenomicon planning right now with a lot of amazing things in the works, and I mean truly just outstanding things that um, I, I didn't anticipate from knowing a little <laughs> inside information on what's going on. And um, I, I think that time is going to be really important to, to make sure you have the ability to, to work on the things that you need to work on. My work is getting crazy busy and this is not us kind of precursoring that our show was ending or anything like oh, no, that. Not this at is all. purely, this is purely no different than again, as you mentioned us choosing to drop things like Gotham and things like that. Um, but yeah, it's it's just a it's just a it's a decision we have to make for the show. Yes, so. yeah. So uh, hopefully that doesn't disappoint too many people that we're not covering Black Lightning. We haven't been covering it for a while, as a matter of fact. So I, I don't think it's going to come across too much of a surprise. But just in case, if you were anticipating when we were going to be talking about Black Lightning again, unfortunately that news is we're most likely not. So just yeah. wanted to make you guys aware of that as listeners uh, because things things could change in the future. But yeah. as for right now, it sounds like it is going to be off the slate. But I did think of something funny so uh when we get to the very final episode of arrow we should definitely have our good friend paul williams on the show uh so he can talk about his his, his podcast books because bats and bows is going to be done <laughs> so oh <laughs> yeah <laughs> that's right i didn't even think about that and, uh... and you know what i think when it comes down to that and Arrow does wrap up, we're going to give it a nice send off. And, and um, I think we'll do a special episode that is a pure send off episode purely for Arrow. And honestly, like I said, I want people to think about that now. Uh, what we would like to do is there's the Arrow crew out there on Facebook uh, with people like Anne, uh, Adessa, you know, uh, you know, obviously Paul, Shad, all of these people that have been in the mix for so long that have been following along with us with the tales of, you know, of Green Arrow. Um, I would love to try to get as many clips from so many of you of why Arrow has been important. So when it comes to that time, we will give it the send off that it deserves. Yeah, and we'll find ways to make it easy for you guys to send clips to us and, and things like that as well. And let's not forget the other thing we're planning this summer, too, which I'm really excited about. We're going to be doing the Primer Awards this summer. Yeah. Um, which I'm still working on right now. We got to come up with a couple more categories and then we're going to be reaching out to you guys for nominations and uh, we'll put it up for votes and it's going to be fun. It's going to be a lot yeah, of fun. Yeah, we're going to have to we're going to have to do some talking to some CW reps and, and letting them know that we may want to see if we can get some responses from some folks. Yes, exactly. So, so uh, cool. So let's knock out some recommendations and cheap plugs. Uh, I'll turn it over to you, sir. First, uh, what is your recommendation for the week? My recommendation for the week is a video game, because good old video games. Uh, but I have started diving into Devil May Cry 5, uh, and that has been fantastic. Uh, I only have got a chance to get into the first couple hours of it, but so far, um, thoroughly, thoroughly enjoying. Uh, it's very much a nice, beautiful throwback to what Devil May Cry 3 was, it feels like. Um, 
and uh, it it continues to just be a fun trashy popcorn of a video game that just plays beautifully and if you are a fan of the series from back when to current um they did not disappoint and i will say i think it is one of the most top-notch versions of a devil may cry game i have ever played so uh well worth your time and money i have never played a devil may cry game uh i've never jumped into that series in the least i've always i've always liked the look of the game i've just never jumped into it Oh, it is a combo-driven, combo-ass-heavy combat system <laughs> that is rewarding as hell uh, because every time you're in a fight, you get ranked on how well you fought. So it kind of mentally makes you want to constantly get better and better and better. Um, and it's just absurd and ridiculous. It is it's, it is one of the most ridiculous games ever. But um, one of the things I can just say is if you have the... Uh, deluxe edition there's four additional arms that you can have and one of them is Mega Man's X, uh, Mega Buster uh, which is fantastic oh, that's cool. it's it's just awesome because it charges just like it um, and you can use it and just dis, uh, just dislocate the arm and use it as a crowd control weapon to uh, and let it explode which is kind of cool uh, but they do a lot of fun things and uh, yeah thoroughly thoroughly enjoyed interesting Mm -hmm. uh my recommendation for this week is until the real captain marvel movie comes out april no i'm not gonna say that <laughs> that's gonna make that's gonna piss people off uh no i actually did have an opportunity to go see captain marvel on opening weekend and you know what it's not i'm i'm seeing reviews of people saying like oh it is the greatest marvel movie ever i even saw one person from a friend she posted on facebook saying uh captain marvel is the greatest movie ever i'm like it's okay it's good it's not that good. Like, it's not the greatest movie ever. It, it, I wouldn't even categorically put it as the best Marvel movie ever. But it is good. It's really well done. Uh, so if you get an opportunity, go out and, and check out Captain Marvel in theaters. Because it is, it's, it, it's, it's definitely fun to watch. Uh, however, I am still looking forward to Shazam on April 5th. So really looking forward to Shazam on April 5th. Indeed. So, uh, cheap plugs, and then we can get out. As always, you can catch this podcast as well as all of the other podcasts as part of the Next Level Podcast Network at thenextlevelnetwork.com, facebook.com slash thenextlevelnetwork, uh, and, of course, the Facebook page for this particular podcast, facebook.com slash Primetime. As always, you can also find me at thenextlevelnetwork.com through the Caffeine Crew cast of pods. The most recent episode, which is episode number 52, is now up where we talk about the cartoons of the 80s and 90s, which was a ton of fun. That was a lot uh, of fun. Yeah, it was, like I said, much lighter in tone as far as topics in comparison to what we did on episode 51. But, uh, you know, it was a it was a ton of fun to do. Uh, there is a great musical interlude in the middle of the episode for the break music that I, I, I did some digging and found that uh, just makes me smile. So that uh, was a really fun episode. So definitely check that out whenever you get a moment. Uh, I can't even remember what our next episode is, but it's a thing. Uh, we actually posted our very our full schedule for the very first time. I don't think I've ever done that before um, up on our page on Facebook. So if you follow through the links uh, through either just the next level page or just find us through Caffeine Crew. You can see that there um, in the posts. So I just realized something. Um, there is an actor who is actually in both Captain Marvel movies. Mm -hmm. 
um, uh, uh, Jaiman Hanso. I forget. I, I think that's how you pronounce his name. But oh, um, Jaiman Hans, uh, Hanso. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, he is. He plays the one that gives Shazam his powers in Shazam, and he's also one of the Kree in Captain Marvel. Yeah. Mm-hmm. No, I yeah. never picked up on that. Yeah. yeah, he works. He worked with Ronan. Yeah. Yeah, that's fun. Mm-hmm. Uh, But I think that's going to wrap it up for this week's episode of DC Primetime. Again, next week, we've got all three shows to talk about. And if you're not watching Doom Patrol, you should be because it's fucking fantastic. Uh, This past episode, if you haven't watched it yet, episode four, that introduced Wallaby Kipling, um, which, God, man, that just made me smile. Mark Mark Shepard is fantastic. Mark, did you watch it? No, I plan to watch it when when I'm done this. All I'm going to say is there's a wonderful moment with a blue horse head, <laughs> and uh, <laughs> you will be smiling from ear to ear. Yeah, but every episode of this series so far has been fantastic. If you're not watching it, you should be. Uh, but that's going to wrap it up. Until next time, guys, we'll see you around the bend. Take care. Peace.